Hey friends, and welcome back to this week's episode of Fit Friends Happy Hour. I'm your host, Katie, and this is episode 209. I'm so excited to talk about this topic of diabetes because I think if you're listening, you probably know somebody who has diabetes in either in your immediate family, extended family, in your community, your workplace. It's a prevalent condition, and I think there's a lot of stigma around it that goes along with weight stigma, which we will talk about in this episode. So I'm really excited to bring on expert dietitian Danielle Bublitz. Danielle actually has diabetes herself and practices from an intuitive eating health at every size lens. And she really does an excellent job on today's chat, really dissecting some of those myths and sharing her own story with diabetes. And so I hope listening to this, you can walk away with some more knowledge, some more compassion, and really just feel empowered when it comes to intuitive eating and how it actually can be a really effective treatment option or management or way of life, whatever you want to call it, when it comes to any sort of medical condition. Danielle Bublitz is a registered dietitian nutritionist specializing in intuitive eating and binge eating and health at every size aligned nutrition therapy. Danielle earned her bachelor's degree in nutrition and dietetics from California State University at Chico and received her master's degree from California State University at Northridge while completing the dietetic internship program. Since becoming a registered dietitian, Danielle has worked in various areas in nutrition, such as hospitals, acute rehab, and skilled nursing facilities. Danielle is passionate about guiding her patients through difficult medical diagnoses like diabetes or gastrointestinal issues while learning how to make peace with food and their bodies. And if you're new here, or maybe you've been around for a while, are you subscribed yet? If not, what are you doing? Take a second, hit the subscribe button. And if you feel so inclined, leave us a review. We would love to hear what you think, how Fit Friends Happy Hour has helped you along your intuitive eating journey and what topics you want to hear next. All right, on to the show. Welcome to Fit Friends Happy Hour, a podcast about all things nutrition, fitness, and life in your 20s and 30s, all from a non-diet lens. I'm your host, Katie Hake, and I'm a registered dietitian nutritionist and certified personal trainer. Join me here every week as I talk with interesting people and experts from all walks of life about their relationship with food, exercise, and their bodies. I am on a mission to help you redefine the word fit, to help you stop quantifying and start living. Learn to stop measuring your success by the scale and find your fears. Danielle, welcome to Fit Friends Happy Hour. We're so happy to have you here today. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here today. I am super excited about this topic and to dive more into your story. So just share with us a little bit about yourself and, and your journey with, with food and your body. Yeah. So I'm Danielle. I currently live in Southern California. I'm a registered dietitian. And my journey with my food and my body kind of started from the time I was a lot younger when I was struggling a little bit with binge eating. And um, I got diagnosed with type one diabetes when I was 16. And I feel like that was such a life changing event to have happened. Alongside with that, I was starting to get information about cut things out, you know, like carbs, 
can be a problem. And that thinking alongside with just my struggle with like binge eating was really challenging. So I feel like my perspective shifted where I became a little more obsessive over food, very much more in that mindset of like no carbs, only protein, only fat, never touch desserts unless they're sugar-free. And it was a bit of a spiral. But um, when I was in college, I learned about intuitive eating and I was very gung-ho. It was, I felt like it really spoke to me. And I would say within the past, like, three to four years, I've really been just like on this journey of healing my relationship with food and my body. And honestly, I I see so much need for people in the diabetic community and with chronic illnesses. There's so much need for compassion and understanding that we can do intuitive eating. It doesn't have to be black and white. I love that just hearing a little bit more about your journey. I'm curious to know more about how you were actually diagnosed with type one diabetes. And maybe if you could explain to our audience, what is the difference between type one and type two? Yeah. So with my diagnosis, again, I was 16 years old. It was interesting because nobody in my family had diabetes, but I remember getting like a really bad flu. Like I was sick for like a month. And after that month, when I like recovered, I started getting all those signs, you know, I was going to the bathroom a lot. I was like exhausted. Like I can't even explain this type of exhaustion, like where I couldn't get out of bed. Unfortunately, like my stepmom, she was an ICU nurse and she was pregnant with my little brother at the time. So she was on maternity leave. And I remember one day, you know, going to the bathroom for like the seventh time within a few hours. And she's like, are you okay? Like some, something's going on. So she managed to get like a glucose meter and she's like, all right, I'm going to have you fast, which I didn't like, but it was like, okay. So I fasted. And then the next morning when I checked my blood sugar, my fasting blood sugar was 500. Oh my gosh. And yeah. And she was like, we have to go. We, we need to go to the hospital right now. So, um, we went to the hospital, I got diagnosed there and I'm actually, I feel really fortunate because I have heard from other diabetics, you know, their diagnosis can be pretty traumatic where they're at the point where they are hospitalized. So while it was like really shocking, I'm like so thankful that I had someone there that kind of was noticing these signs and helped me catch it earlier on. So that diagnosis was shocking. And I spent probably like the next two months seeing a dietitian pretty frequently, uh, a therapist. It was like a whole team approach. So it was very consistent to try to help me get on my path. Wow. What a, yeah, what a shock, especially at 16, you know, you're going through as a teenager, you're going through these changes already around food and it's starting to become a social aspect. And if you you know have your license, you're driving, you have more access to food, things like that. So what was it like meeting with a dietitian? Did that influence you becoming a dietitian? You know, was it positive? Was it negative? Kind of looking back mm-hmm. on that, um, you know, you shared how your store, it became a little bit obsessive. So how did your experience with nutrition and therapy integrate with that? Yeah. So, you know, I think the the dietitian I had was really great. You know, she, I know her goal was to help me. Um, I do feel like it was pretty black and white. Um, like some of the things that I can remember I was being taught was like, 
low carb, you know, no sweets. It wasn't like, if you feel like having some sweets, here's how you can give yourself enough insulin. It was just, no, no, you can't do that. And that was really hard for me because also I had just transferred schools. So I was starting at a high school, like didn't really know a lot of people. So yeah, just like you said, there was that social aspect to it. That was hard for me. It's like, I'm being told I can't do something. I already struggle with, you know, like hiding food or, you know, like trying to eat things in secret. And now somebody's telling me again, like, for sure, you can't have this. So it was really hard for me. And I also wanted to make sure I did answer your other question to explain the difference of type one and type two. Oh, sure. (laughs) Um, I apologize. Yeah. So type one, which is what I have, it's where your body is not producing insulin. And so you need to give yourself like injections of insulin. Your pancreas is no longer working. For type two diabetes, you are insulin resistant. So even if your body is producing the insulin, it's not like your body is not like eliminating it. So it's kind of just sitting there and you need to take oral medications to help with that. And there are some people with diabetes um, type two that need to take an oral medication and an insulin injection, which is not their fault. It's nothing that they should be ashamed of. It's just the best way to manage it. So that's kind of the difference between the two, you know, type one juvenile diabetes. It's really um, for the rest of your life, you're going to be needing to take more of those injections. Thank you, first of all, for explaining that and sharing the difference and especially for saying that it's not your fault, because I think a lot of times, especially with diabetes, there is, there's this weight stigma attached to it. Did you find that you experienced any of this or or with the patients that you work with? How do you see that weight stigma tying into diabetes specifically, but also just chronic disease? Mm. Yes, so much. It's it's really hard because even some of the questions I get when people are like, "Oh, you're diabetic? Do you have the bad kind?" Mm. I'm like, "What's the bad kind?" Yeah, you what know? does that like, even mean? Yeah. <laughs> what does that mean, you know? And so I think a lot of times, especially with type 2, people just assume like, "Oh, well, if you are in a larger body, you're going to get diabetes." You know, and that's false. You know, type 2 diabetes can be genetic, you know? There's so much other research that's out there that, you know, there's other factors that can contribute and it's not your fault. Sugar does not cause diabetes. You know, all these like blanket statements of like, you did this, this was your fault, like change it. It, It's very um, shaming and it's not accurate. So yes, I see it a lot with my clients and I did um, an Instagram live with an endocrinologist a couple months ago, and um, it was really amazing because we were just talking about the shame, you know, people feel about taking their insulin and medication. Mm. It's crazy. It's like, this is what's going to help us feel our best and thrive. And we feel shame for doing that. Uh, Yeah, that's so true. And, you know, I've feel like over my years of experience as well, I've just heard or met so many people who've gotten this diagnosis and then not even been explained to. And just like you said, it's, they get overwhelmed with all these blanket statements out there of what they read or even worse, just what people <laughs> say mm-hmm. or recommend. Like they just say, mm-hmm. Oh, you need to go low carb, like family members or, you know, right. Other people kind of in passing yes. conversation. So what advice would you have for somebody who 
has recently been diagnosed, or let's say they have a family member who's been diagnosed, you know, from both Mm. your personal and your professional experience, what would you say to them? Yes. So first of all, I would just say like, really for the person that is diagnosed, really give yourself some compassion. You need some compassion because one, it's not your fault. And two, having diabetes isn't, you know, like a death sentence. I think a lot of people get very fearful and it's understandable because your life is going to change. You're going to have to make some modifications, but it is very possible to live a healthy, long life with diabetes and eat the foods that you love. It doesn't have to be one or the other, you know? So I would say that for the person that's diagnosed and then for maybe like a family member, I mean, I feel like it's almost like similar to, you know, a family member with someone with like an eating disorder. It's like provide that compassion, show that you're there, ask how you can help. I know a lot of times, you know, for maybe parents of a child that's diagnosed, it's so scary. So maybe even just compassion for yourself. So yeah, just lots of compassion and just trying to show the person that you're there. Yeah. I love that you say asking the other person, how can I support you? Or just letting them know that you're available because, you know, I have family members as well who have diabetes and other family members, you know, say, why aren't you doing anything about this? Right. Or, and, and I always try to explain, you know, we don't shame people into making choices one way or the other when it comes to their health, but there's such this this common thread or theme, especially with diabetes that, oh, you can just fix it. it it's, it's black and white. You just it, need to change things. And it's like, no, it's, it's a lot more complicated than that. A lot more. And just like anyone else, it's like, there's the emotional, mental, you know, physical, there's so many other factors to somebody's health that you can work on and you can focus on, and that's going to benefit them. So I kind of like view it a little bit as like concern trolling when people are giving this like unsolicited, like, well, why aren't you doing that? Or, you know, should you be eating that mm. cake over there? Like all those comments are not helpful to, you know, help someone feel like they're motivated to make changes in their life. Just like you said. Yeah. It contributes to to even more shame. So going mm-hmm. back to kind of your experience working with a dietitian, what were the things or just with your doctors and therapists, what were some of, what was some of the advice looking back that you found was helpful and what things, you know, maybe were not so helpful that you've changed in the, in the way that you care for your clients? You know, even just like thinking about that right now, like I loved my team so much. I think what I loved is that I did feel supported by them at the same time, kind of where I'm at now, I do see maybe like some cracks where there were some things that were said that were more harmful to me than helpful. So I would say what they were really great about was being supportive. You know, I had that consistency because I met with them like once a week for like two months. It was really excellent. It's through Kaiser. Um, So they did a really great job of like the consistency and being able to like help me, but some areas that I feel like I would have probably been better off without was hmm, my endocrinologist did praise me a lot when I wasn't using a lot of insulin. And the endocrinologist I have now 
like within the past couple of years is like, why aren't you giving yourself enough insulin at this mealtime? I noticed you're like staying in that 180 range, 200. And I was like, I don't know. I think because I'm a little scared to go higher. I didn't even think about it, but it's mm-hmm. just something that became internalized. Mm-hmm. So that was a little problematic. Can you explain to the audience like what that means when you're giving more insulin? Like, why would you want to adjust to that? Like, what does that mean for somebody listening? I mean, yeah, it's it's a hormone, you know. So a lot of times there's this idea that the more insulin you're taking, the more weight you're going to gain. Mm-hmm. I would like to argue that you know insulin is life saving, and if you want to enjoy the foods that you have in front of you is it really going to benefit you to take less and then feel that like hyperglycemia, like high blood sugar, where you feel lethargic, can't function, you know, it's like, those numbers are more detrimental than just allowing yourself to take that insulin that's going to help you feel better. Mm. Yeah, that that's a great way. I've never heard it explained like that. But I think that's a really great way to put it into perspective for the person experiencing it, right? It's more than just a number it's, it really is a feeling that impacts how you function, how you feel, how you operate throughout your day. Yes. And like having high blood sugar, um, there was a diabetes educator I worked with and she would explain it's like, because of the blood sugar just being so high, it feels like your blood is like maple syrup and you kind of get like Mm -hmm. your, your hands feel swollen. I mean, any of your listeners that have diabetes and that have experienced this can tell you it's, it's a bad feeling. So just trying to put that in perspective. And I think that type of information that he gave me probably wasn't helpful for me. I was in a category that was like more like, I would say like overweight. And so they were also trying to put me on a diet. So they had me doing low calorie, which did not work at all. Mm. I was having fat-free pretzels And I found myself eating my lunch at like 10 in the morning and then my blood sugar was all over the place. So, you know, those are some things that I think weren't as helpful was more of like the diet E advice, Mm -hmm. but what was helpful again, was just having somebody that was listening to me or, you know, would help me make some modifications on like my insulin injections. That was helpful. Yeah. And again, I I just think back to a teenager just trying to navigate it all. And like you said, I think maybe our listeners can resonate with that, that being on a diet or, you know, packing X amount of food for your day and then getting to 10 o'clock and being starving because you didn't eat an adequate breakfast or whatever it is, and then eating your lunch and then right. And and the cycle continues. So you mentioned that it really wasn't until college that you found like health at every size and intuitive eating. I I always love to hear, I'm curious how you stumbled upon it. Like, did you just find the book? Like, I can't even think Mm -hmm. thinking back. I I don't even really know how I found it. It was like, you find a piece and then it just kind of, yeah, it's like a golden nugget. Yeah. How did you (laughs) discover it? And was that just mind blowing or life-changing really? It sounds like, I mean, I feel really fortunate. So I did my undergraduate studies at Chico state, which is in Northern California. And I had a professor named Don Clifford and she was amazing. So I took a, one of my classes was oh my like goodness. nutrition. I was like, why does that name sound so familiar? 
as yeah, I'm staring at a, at a book on my desk yes. with her name on it. That's amazing. Yes. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Dawn Clifford, huge shout out. She's the best. So she had in her nutrition counseling class, she assigned us to read intuitive eating. And I remember taking it home and reading it. And I was like, wow, this like really resonates. And I remember leaving the book on the couch and I went to do something else. And I come back and like my roommate that was also struggling with eating was just like reading it. And she's like, what is this? What is this? What I'm is like, this, what I is don't this magic know. in here? <laughs> <laughs> we both were just like, what is happening? So at the time I was like really struggling again, you know, with like binging. And I remember, you know, like one of my foods was peanut butter. That was like, I told everyone in my house, I feel really bad now for my roommates. I was like, no peanut butter. We cannot have peanut butter in the house. I will go crazy. Mm-hmm. And I just remember Don gave us an assignment. Like, I want you to try for three days of food that you feel you would have as like off limits. Like it's a little scary. And I want you to really let yourself have permission to have it. It's like, okay, she's crazy. Does she even know what she's asking us to do? Like insane, but I tried it. And so I noticed like the first day with the peanut butter, I did kind of feel like out of control. The second day I was like, okay, I mean, this is still really good. And then by the third day, I was kind of like, I'm a little over this. I'm actually over this. And ever since that point, I think I had this like aha moment, like, wow, maybe the fact that I'm restricting these foods is the reason why they're so high, like highly elevated as like this amazing food that I can never touch. You know, it's like a prize when in reality, it's like food is food. It's good. We can enjoy it and we can have it whenever we want. Like that thought has to like really resonate as true to you. So that experience was very life-changing for me. I was really lucky too, because they had a group on campus for health at every size. So I was also exposed to that. I mean, I feel like that took me a little longer to digest um, Mm -hmm. just because, and I'm sure you can relate. Our dietetics program was very, you know, weight centric very black and white, you know, I learned a lot about medical nutrition therapy, but I do feel like a lot of what I was being taught was like, we'll just cut this food out. We'll just a, B and C here's your, just follow this. You know, there wasn't like simple again, black and white. Yeah. Yes. That's, I love that she gave you that assignment and it's so powerful to hear that just three days, right? Like, it's that little step. So, you know, maybe for somebody listening, take that experiment with you and recognize like it's possible when it feels overwhelming, or if you feel kind of in that space, you know, like Danielle, you shared, oh my gosh, hiding food or just at this really controlling place around food or obsessive that, you know, experimenting with just one little food can be a big stepping stone towards that really journey, I guess you want to call it. So, how is your practice? Tell us a little bit more. How is your practice different from what most people might experience when working with a dietitian or a diabetes educator? What, what does that look like? Yeah. So I work at a practice called Nourish with Kindness, like the founder of it. Her name's Alyssa Callahan. She's like one of my friends, but also my boss. And so what our practice is all about is really 
helping people heal their relationship with food. And we do that, you know, using intuitive eating as a framework and we we're in like a haze lens. So we want to make sure health at every size for your followers. And what that means is that we are very like weight inclusive. We are not giving out weight loss goals or plans. What we want to do is really help people reconnect with their internal cues, reconnect with, you know, how they view themselves. Why is food becoming such a moral issue? You know, it's like, how can we work through those internal beliefs that they, they may have from since they were younger and they don't realize it. Mm-hmm. And how can we work through that to show them that it is possible to have a good relationship with food and their body when it comes to like medical conditions? Cause you know, I, I currently have clients with like diabetes, PCOS, and, um, also, you know, like ulcerative colitis, IBS. So, you know, we do work with people with different, um, chronic conditions and usually where it starts is understanding, like, what rules do you have right now, you know, and how could that be actually impacting maybe some of those symptoms, you know, like some people, I'll give you an example. I had somebody with PCOS that was doing keto. And that wasn't necessarily helpful for her. You know, she was finding that it was exacerbating some symptoms. And then also that, you know, part of PCOS is getting in some whole grains. Like that can be really helpful for like the hormone regulation. So it's really helping people examine what they're doing now and how their relationship with food can make a huge difference on even just how they're feeling. Yeah. It's like looking at what, what am I doing? Why am I doing that? And does it make sense with this this condition? I love how you explain that about how, you know, this medical nutrition therapy or really nutrition therapy can integrate with intuitive eating you know, there's so much out there and maybe you can share a little bit more. What do you see that people are hesitant about when it comes to integrating the two? Mm, Weight gain, definitely weight gain. Even with my diabetic patients, I think there is such a huge fear about gaining weight. And especially, you know, in like the society we live in, when there are certain ideals of what bodies should look like, unfortunately, there is weight stigma that people have faced. So the idea to give yourself full permission is scary because you don't really trust yourself, you know, but that freedom is so important because being trapped in this like diet culture mentality, it's just so limiting to your life. You know, like a lot of times what I find for most of my clients across the board is that they're not eating enough. And that shocks them when I talk to them, you know, they tell me what they had and I'm like, I don't think that's enough. And they don't to hear that. They're like, what do you mean? That's not enough. It's like, yeah, I don't think you're eating enough. I want to give you permission to eat more. And that can be life-changing. Can you share, since we're talking about diabetes specifically, how can under eating impact that diagnosis? Yeah. Wow. So with under eating, I mean, you can definitely experience a lot of low blood sugars. Um, it can make your blood sugar just very erratic. You know, you, you can't find like a consistent pattern if you're having like you're skipping breakfast and you get to lunch and have a little something. And then you wait till dinner to have something big. It's like, you don't find that balance. 
same with someone without diabetes. It's having that consistent pattern, allowing your body to be used to the fact that it needs food consistently. And, and touching on that, because you mentioned like one of the recommendations you got was low carb or cut out all sugar. And, you know, aside from the mental impacts that that can have, right. Your relationship with food, are there physical impacts that, that restriction piece of certain foods or certain food groups can have on specifically like blood sugar management? Yeah, there's a few. Let me think. I mean, I'm thinking about some of the people that I've seen in the hospital that have gone like maybe just keto and they've had like gallstone formation. They've had, you know, acute kidney injury. It's like too much protein, too much. I mean, again, eliminating a food group usually isn't beneficial for anyone. So I've seen that. And then under eating for diabetes, honestly, like one of the biggest things I see is really just a mismanagement of their blood sugar. It tends to just dip and then I mean, you have to take care of that. So then you're taking glucose tablets or you're doing something else and you're up. So it's kind of just like you're going in a roller coaster. Yeah. I like that word erratic that you said, like it's kind of up and down. It's just all over the place versus Mm -hmm. if you guys can't see, I wish you could see, but Danielle's making like roller coaster. She's showing you (laughs) visuals of kind of what it, what it might look like. So it sounds like more of a, um, kind of consistency or like less of a big roller coaster and more of just like a kitty ride. Like, a <laughs> yeah. And you just don't feel well. It's just yeah. like, personally, like I hate having low blood sugars. It knocks me out for like 20 to 30 minutes, you know, and you just, mm-hmm. you can't do anything. You can't function. And that's hard. You know, I think one thing, you know, with people with diabetes is like, we want to feel like we can live a normal life. And it's hard to do that when we're not fueling ourselves because we're just going through that roller coaster motion. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so empowering. And I'm sure your story, you connect so well with your clients because you have that lived experience. I'm curious, and I hope you don't mind me asking, but have you ever been in a situation where a client has maybe, I don't want to say use it against you, but, you know, use Mm. your personal story in your journey with food kind of as a way of you can't help me or you don't know kind of experience. Mm, I think honestly, at this point, I don't think so. I feel like more so the people that do make those comments tend to be on Instagram. They tend to be the Mm, social media, like trolls, (laughs) you know, the trolls. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've had someone recently that's like was commenting on my appearance and how, like, how can you help someone? And I'm like, okay, Mm. well I can. And it doesn't matter what you think about me because our health is not just our outward appearance. Our health is so much more than that. So, so far I haven't had that experience with clients, I guess, thankfully. Yeah. But I have had people that have expressed to me, you know, like, you know, it's really hard for me to, you know, to really embrace intuitive eating. It's really hard for me because of the body I'm in, Mm. you know? And I actually really loved, um, I listened to your podcast episode with Brie, Body Image with Brie. One of my favorite ones. It was so, she's so good. Yes. And I love that because I think that's such, I mean, for other listeners, I feel like you should definitely listen to that episode. It's great. But that message is really important 
what she's talking about. Just body grief is totally understandable and your body is so much more. I think especially to, you know, when somebody has a diagnosis or chronic disease, there is this, you know, we talked briefly about this, about how weight, that weight stigma is such a part of this. I feel like it's another kind of barrier that holds people back because I don't deserve to practice intuitive eating. I don't, it, it's not going to work for me until I'm at a certain body type or until I lose the weight because I feel like there's so many messages, especially from the medical community that says that's the cure, the cure to, or, you know, air quotes cure. Can you touch on that mm-hmm. briefly? Because I see that a lot of to cure their diabetes. Like what do people even mean when they say that? And can you dispel that myth for us? Oh my God. <laughs> if you guys can see Danielle, she's like face palm right now. <laughs> uh, I mean, okay. So, you know, I've spent the past few years working like full-time clinic like clinically in a hospital. And I just switched this past year to like per diem, but I see it so much and it's really harmful. Mm-hmm. So what I, what I see is a lot of times people are getting this like blanket prescription of, Oh, okay. Wow. Your A1C looks good. Oh, but your body size is this. So you're doing this, this, and this wrong. So anyways, change what you're doing and lose weight. How is that helpful? You know, this person's come in with blood sugars that show that they found their pattern and you're telling them, no, that's wrong. Mm -hmm. You need to exercise and lose weight and this and that, and that's, what's going to help you with your health. So again, I think even though they're, even though their A1C and their lab work mm -hmm. is good, they're at a good place. Yes. Yeah. So I see that a lot. And then I also see, um, so doctors have maybe like 24 to 46 hours of nutrition education. And I say that, you know, knowing that I respect doctors, I like working with most doctors, but saying that, and then giving somebody a diet to follow, I feel like is not the best path to go. I feel like doctors should refer more to the dietitian on that end and really let the dietitian work on that end and even check for like disordered eating. Mm. We don't check that. I wish that was just like a common thing that we would check in all clients, no matter what size their body is, because I will say I've had clients with eating disorders and they have had stable blood sugars but they're not eating enough. So, you know, their doctor sees them and it's like, you're doing great. Keep doing it. And it's like, well, actually what else is going on? Like what else is going on behind the scenes? That part's important. And sometimes that's missed in the medical field, because again, it's very much like, you know, this is the body I'm seeing, or maybe these are the labs I'm seeing. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And, you know, it sounds like for somebody listening, really being able to I don't want to say red flags, but like if you've gotten this diagnosis or a family member has gotten diagnosed, a way that it sounds like you could support is helping them find somebody who is going to look at them, look at the whole picture, right? Really look at all aspects and look at the diagnosis of the person as a human (laughs) with all these different aspects of their life versus just weight loss as a prescription. It sounds like if lose five, 10 pounds or however much it is, if that's the the prescription, if that's the only thing, then it's time to find maybe another provider, another source of help. 
Yes. I always recommend, you know, when I'm covering in the hospital, you know, if we get a new diabetic, I'm always just chatting with them a little bit, you know, about what's reasonable, what access to food do you even have? You know, like that's another important question. So like, what's your access to food? What's your home life? Like what support do you have? You see, these are very human questions Mm -hmm. that get missed Mm -hmm. a lot of the time. And that's going to say a lot about what they're able to do. Can you afford to get your medication? You know, like how can we make sure that you can take care of yourself the best when you get home? It's probably not going to be going on a keto diet. Probably not, you know, telling somebody to just exercise five times a week, you know, it's like, that's not feasible for people that are working that, you know, have people, you know, family to support. So again, like you said, finding that human connection, um, there's a lot of really great dietitians. Like I would even recommend going on like the intuitive eating directory, like their directory, you know, finding someone a dietitian that has that specialty, because that's going to be like a very compassionate and helpful approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Well, this has been such an eye opening conversation and, and so grateful for you sharing your story and just giving so many tangible takeaways. Where can our listeners find you and learn more? Or are you accepting clients? Tell us what that looks like, where you like to yeah. hang out. Yeah. Yeah. So I am mostly on Instagram. You can find me at food freedom diabetes. So I can, it's all together. So food freedom diabetes. And then outside of that, I have a link in my profile to our private practice. So, you know, if you're interested, you can check it out, set up a discovery call and see if we're a good fit. Awesome. And I love to, we'll be sure to link to all those in the show notes. And I love to end our interview questions with just what's the best thing that's happened to you this week? Oh man, I did think about that. Yeah. I think one of the best things is that I've been slowly finding like forms of movement that I enjoy. And I did like a, we bought a spin bike cause I used to love that in college. And I did like a spin class on my phone. I just had like the best time. So I feel like that's been exciting to find something that I'm really enjoying. Yeah. That you enjoy that you look forward to this just it's a, it's a positive part of your day. Not like, uh, got to go on my bike. Exactly. Like, oh, I haven't I felt that way in a bike. while. Yeah. Uh, I love that. Yes. So, I love that for that's you. My thing. Well, thank you so much, Danielle. Like I said, everybody, we will link to all her links in the show notes. We'll link to that intuitive eating directory as well. And a link for you guys to schedule a call or follow Danielle for more tips on diabetes and intuitive eating. Thanks so much. I appreciate being here. Thanks, Danielle. Thanks for listening to this episode of Fit Friends Happy Hour. If you liked this episode, don't forget to share it with a friend. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at Fit Friends Happy Hour. Talk to you next time.